welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, this is going to be a very interesting show um, because it's a different take. I mean, you know, I've been talking um, my shows in recent years, I guess, um, have been focusing more on uh, how to fix America and all the problems that we have in America uh, and what we can, you know, trying to get people to uh, fired up to do something about them. And today, uh, my guest takes a very interesting, unique take on what is wrong with America by with his two books. Um, first, let me introduce uh, him. And well, the title of today's show is "America is at a Breaking Point," but today's guest can help fix it. So. Um, first of all, his uh, let me introduce him, Richard Lyons, Richard C. Lyons. He is the author of two books. Um, one is called The DNA of Democracy, and the second one is called Shadows of the Acropolis. And um, it's volume one and two, essentially. And he was born and raised in the Midwestern United States. His education took him through Loyola Academy, the University of North Texas, and a graduate career at Southern Methodist University. He has been a long admirer of the written word, which has led him to literary pursuits as a poet, essayist, and screenwriter. Professionally, he's a third generation printer whose father dedicated his life to education in the publishing and telecommunication fields. He has been involved in printing, publishing, stage, and television production throughout his professional career. So um, it is with this literary background that he has written these two books. I mean, that may seem that may seem um, re- redundant, but not really, because um, not I don't know of anybody else who has taken this way of looking at the de- democracy, tyrants, history, um, and what is happening today. So. Um, so why don't I I'll let you take it away, Richard? Why don't you first of all um, talk about the your first book, introduce us to that. It's called the DNA of Democracy. Nice well, alliteration there. Thank <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Um, like you and like a, a number of people in the country, millions of us actually, a number of years ago, I began to wonder why our country wasn't performing up to its constitution. In other words. Why weren't laws being created the way the Constitution prescribed, which is through a legislature and so forth? I mean, it got to the point during the Obama administration when I totaled up the number of rules coming out of agencies, and there were about 20,000 compared to the laws coming out of Congress, which numbered about 400. So I thought to myself, well, how could this be happening? And, and a lot of things, a lot of laws were in effect that people never voted on, that representatives never voted on. And so I was wondering how this was occurring. And it it took me back to the very idea of representative government itself. What is liberty and how how rare has it been? How fragile is it? 
and and what really made America special. I had to dig into that first. I had to do what was right with America at its founding. And so I had to go all the way back in history. I started with the Israelites and the Egyptians, and I started with their concept, uh, the Israelite concept of God or the Judaic concept of God, because that that founds our idea of law. The Ten Commandments are God's commandments on earth, right? So that's that's when you hold the law above the Pharaoh. Uh-huh. Yes. So every man, even the Pharaoh, is subject to the law. And that, that was a great breaking point in the history of mankind between despots and a free people. So that neither the priest nor the king commanded everything in a society, but the law did. And if you abided the law, you were free, okay. right? In essence, so I went from I went from there into and 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 so I, I stagger step through history thematically, where liberty occurred from there. So I went to Athens and its overthrow of the tyrant Isagoras and how it formed its constitution, and how Pericles was the very zenith of of democracy in the classical in the classical sense. Yes, where every citizen was equally treated before the law, and each had a vote. And from there, I went to Rome and its republic and the overthrow of the tyrannical kings there. The valuable lessons there are representative government, right, which is our state-level sort of government and our federal government style, and also common law, the first of which was the 12 tables of uh, the Roman Republic. Uh, which they cast in bronze and set in the center of the city. Hmm. Uh, so I go through Rome and and then I go to Britain and the tyranny of uh, William the Conqueror and how he set up literally a, a series of castles throughout the country, each one day's ride by horse apart in order to enforce uh, what they call, this is very uh, apropos, it's what the Plantagenets called the will and force of the king. That was law, the will and force of an individual. Uh, and it was carried through through a garrison arrangement throughout the country and by military force exerted from the castle system. And and why were the castles separated in that way? So that if any castle were threatened, there was another castle adjacent that could uh-huh. come to the nobleman's aid. And it was all Normans ruling over uh, the Saxons and the Celts. Um, so it was very deliberate, and they called it they called it the skeletal bones of the kingdom because they were essential. So when you go to the British Isles and you see all these castles, and many of the Norman castles still exist, uh, you can see they were fortified to the teeth. And so you could either, from the outside, you were subject to their soldiers. On the inside, you were subject in their prisons. Mm. But they held absolute authority. And William also did another thing. He created the Doomsday Book which was a tally of what every single person in the country owned because he was said to own it himself through that, through that inventory list. Wow. So that he knew exactly what they could be taxed and exactly what he could exert, right. Could extract. And, and one of the great, uh, one of the great characters out of that period during the time of King John was Robin Hood. And it is always said of Robin Hood, well, he took from the rich to give to the poor. That's not exactly true. He took from the wealth, the tax collectors, who was the sheriff of Nottingham, and gave the money back 
<laughs> he didn't take money earned by the wealthy and give it to the poor. He took the money taken by tax collectors from the poor and gave it back. Hmm. His was the first tax rebellion. So I go, and each of these are a story, right? Uh -huh. Robin Hood is a part of a story. It's the story of King John. And then again, the other part of the story of that is Matilda de Bruise. Not many people know the history of Matilda at all, but she was hounded by uh, John and his army uh, through the British Isles in order to make her give up her sons as, as hostages to John's reign. Hostage. John did that to keep his nobles in line. He would take your children to make sure that you did what he said you would do. Wow. Right? So she refused and, and was harried throughout the British Isles until she was captured, I, I think it was in Glen Carrick, Scotland, brought to Windsor Castle, the same Windsor Castle there is now, and died in prison there of starvation with her son and her son's family because mm -hmm. John wanted to make an example of her. Now, what is unknown to history is the outrage that was felt throughout the noble peers of the land was such that they rebelled against John at that moment that they heard about what he did to Matilda. Uh -huh. They rebelled and created the Magna Carta, which is the foundation of our common laws in America today. So it was, it was Matilda who inspired out of the tyranny of John. Every tale has a tyrant, every tale has a rebel, and the outcome of the rebellion. So in this period, it's the rebellion against John by Matilda, and the outcome is the Magna Carta. Hmm. Yes, like you make the point that um, uh, let's see that that these tyrants, ironically, um, instill instill rebellion. You know, here they're trying to. That's the opposite of what they're trying to do. They're tyrants. They want to determine what is happening, control everything, and instead yes. eventually instill rebellion. Okay. Exactly. exactly. So let's go back a little bit. The case in the case in Greece, Athens, was ruled by a tyrant called Isagoras. So I go into that story. And the fact that he decided one day that half of the citizens of Athens were cursed. They were cursed. Therefore, they could not have an equal voice in government. They were cursed. Therefore, they had to give up their land. They were cursed. Therefore, they could be exiled or imprisoned. And that was what got us the Athenian constitution. Going back to uh, uh, King John, Matilda, is what gave birth to the Magna Carta. Okay. Okay, so that gets us to the British Isles and to about 1215. The Magna Carta is a fundamental element of the DNA of democracy, and it's why I called my book The DNA of Democracy. What, what writs in law over history compose the DNA of democracy? They're like DNA strands, right? So mm -hmm. the Magna Carta is one. So is the Athenian Constitution. So is the 12 Tables of Rome. Um, but the Magna Carta is very fundamental. So from there we go. And, and so Britain was more or less ruled by kings and nobles. But the nobles had a voice up until the time of Henry VIII. When Henry decided, and here's another tyrant, because he wanted to marry another woman and produce an heir, he decided to take faith, the organ of faith in England, into himself. After a thought, what was it, 1,500 years of it being from the sea in Rome, he decided to conquer the church in England um, and create the Anglican church so that he became, once again, 
like a pharaoh, ruling tyrannically both the spiritual realm of society and the civil realm of society. Europe's always been blessed by having an independent church, but under Henry, that became one thing again. Uh, so he was the tyrant spoken of in that period and, and created the divine right of kings, where the king is anointed and above the law and can do anything to anyone based on his personal force and will, right? Going back to the Plantagenets. Um, so the rebellion against him took the form of Thomas More. And Thomas More died for his beliefs, but prophesied the kingdom of England would be uh, in, a, in a murderous state of chaos in religious wars for 200 years. And he was exactly right. Hmm. And it's from Thomas More that we gain our separation of church and state, his, his belief in that. Mm-hmm. So then we go on to, to the English Civil War, and I call it the Lords of the Hour, because of what Henry created, the New Anglican Church, the new group of uh, nobles, uh, the new merchant class, uh, they were all vying for power with one another. And the parliament decided to exert itself against the divine right of kings uh, in the time of Charles I, and in fact beheaded the king uh, as it was the only uh, outcome they could think of that would that would free the, the kingdom of tyranny. And so then you have um you have um the um the army pitted against parliament the parliament pitted against the king the king pitted against the puritans and it was all this round table of of different influences and persons wishing to seize power and so out of that grew this the english civil war and from that the uh the i think it's the declaration of right which enthroned William and uh, and Mary on the thrones of England so that Parliament would be uh, in the first position of power, but the king would be second. It was the first constitutional monarchy. Hmm. So that covers a lot of ground. That goes from the ancient world and, and into the medieval and up to uh, the time of uh, the Restoration. I'm just thinking about how much, so we're not even finished with the book. And I'm thinking about how much work went into that, you know, analyzing each of these uh, civilizations. Yeah, it was massive, but there's a single thread, Carol. That's what makes it easy. There's, there's intense, intense tyranny. Tyranny is always the same. And this is what I found. There's intense tyranny. And then there's, there's a rebellion that people, People wage war, they give their lives, they sacrifice their wealth and lives and lands in order to have a, a new government that's among peers, right? I also, I should, I should, I should go back a little bit because um, the round table of Arthur plays a big role in this book because it was, each person was equidistant, even from the king in the round table. So whenever there's liberty, that's what is sought. Everybody is equal equal at a circular table with the law uh, above everyone, right? The ideal of the the ideal. Um, and so when we go back to uh, England and, and the restoration, then we come upon the case of the colony. So that brings us to America, why the Puritans left and other religious sects left England and uniquely settled in America. And one of the most unique things about the uh, America was the Native Americans who believed in it, the, whether it was the uh, the League of Iroquois or whether, whether it was the Cherokee nations, 
they each believed that a, the greatest freedom was had under a government that exerted itself, exerted itself the least. You want the least amount of government for the optimum amount of individual liberty. Yes. And when the colonists landed, they had no they had no government. They had the Mayflower Charter, right? And and charters from England to say you can do what you want uh, in creating colonies. And so they did and and lived independently for 150 years before uh, the monarchy in England uh, decided to uh, invest itself in controlling the colonies. When they did so, they created a tyrannical system again. Persons in England at the time were governed by their parliament and their parliament's representatives. In America at that time, uh, the people were governed um, through the king, through the parliament, and dictates of his prime minister, so that they, their own representatives were not in England representing the colonies. And that was the great uh, trouble, taxation without representation. <laughs> So in order to in order to infirm his grasp on the colonies, the king put more and more troops in America and particularly in the rebel city of Boston and housing soldiers within the homes of citizens. And all this was seen as, well, wait, you're not our brothers. You're not our fellow countrymen. You are our dictators. You are persons trying to control us and our economy. And we've been uh, only subject to our own town assemblies for 150 years. So that was the great difference with England and why a, a very brave generation. And I go into uh, the revolutionary generation a great deal because there a lot of individuals of very different backgrounds had one common goal, and that was the common liberty. Yeah, that's so interesting because um, because you know, really with what's going on in America today, um, you know, we're sort of at the American Revolution time. I mean, it's, uh, we're almost coming to the need again for a revolution. We've been under dictators, the uh, Obama-Biden White House. And, um, you know, January 6th, although that's criticized by some in Congress, um, really in a sense, you know, it was like the American Revolution. It was fighting back against tyrants. Well, we um, we actually have to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about your other book and and relate it to what is going on in the world in America today. So um, we're taking a break. My guest again is Richard Lyons. His books are called "We Were We Were Just Talking About the D the DNA of Democracy." That was the first book. And we're going to be talking about Shadows of the Acropolis. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and we'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. 
And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today. So contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're talking about America is at a breaking point, but today's guest can help fix it. And we've just been through, um, my guest is Richard Lyons. He's written two amazing books. Um, and we've been going through the first one, The DNA of Democracy. And it is really um, a brilliant take on it. You know, <laughs> um, th- these are the kinds of history books that that people should be reading in high school or college or you know and of course people who are out of out of school should be reading to um you know to get the real history and particularly with a focus on understanding democracy and how important it is um where democracy came from as you've been explaining you know through each each uh, era and um and understanding the importance and what, I mean, I think today uh, people have forgotten really what democracy is or freedom is, or and they certainly have forgotten the history of it. So this yeah. is really important. Yeah, that, well, that, that brings up a really, it's a perfect segue because um, it's why I wrote the books and it isn't a history based on dates and things like that so much as what composes our democratic government. So after after we got through the Revolutionary War, there was a constitutional convention at which 55 representatives of 12 new states, Rhode Island abstained, but 12 new states decided from all the wealth of history, from the from the Judaic tradition, from uh, the, the Greeks, from the Romans, from the British, how to fashion a government that governs least and is most responsive to the people that is most responsive. In other words, it leaves you alone when you don't need it, right, Carol? So so they fashioned it so everybody's town assembly would be the most effective government in their lives. So the assembly in in Boston, in which everyone had a voice and everyone had a uh, uh, vote, was fashioned on the Athenian democracy, which is direct democracy, but that's local governance because you cannot have an overly expansive local government. So at the next level is the state level. The states were created as they were in in the size that they were so that they would have representative government, but in a nature of a nature where people's representatives were close to the people. 
not distant, right? So the state governments were both defensive structures and representative structures. And then the federal government was the government you would hear from least, right? It was it was the government you only heard for from in a time of war when the states need to collect their militias together, their military might together to defend the whole, uh-huh. right? So it was, was not conceived as being this overpowering, uh, massive government that we see today. Um, so I'll take this opportunity to go to uh, Shadows of the Acropolis, yes. which is, all right, so the DNA of democracy ends after the Civil War, after the sacrifice and suffering of the Civil War, which was unexampled in human history to create rights for a minority race based on a war between two halves of majority race. That had never happened in history before. And after a million casualties and four years of suffering, uh, it created the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. Then I go to the women's suffragette movement, which was the perfect exercise of constitutional law, the manner in which the women of America bound together, created the argument for women's rights, created the arguments for the vote, and created uh, created the suffragette movement. It's a It was a miracle of um, the right way to do things through amendments in America. That's how the Constitution's supposed to be changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... That brings us up to Woodrow Wilson and the second book, Shadows of the Acropolis, which it begins the the administrative state. It begins with Woodrow Wilson being in office and his philosophy, his philosophical mentor was Frederick Hegel, an ideal German state theory, which is the basis of, and you've heard of all these, it's the basis of socialism. It's the basis of fascism. It's the basis of communism, right? So Frederick Hegel is on one side of governmental thought. The other side is the philosopher, our philosopher, who created our form of government, whose uh, name was John Locke, and who believed in the individual. John Locke believed the individual was the important component in government. Under Frederick Hegel, it is the state. In John Locke's government, the individual has all the rights. In Frederick Hegel's, the state has all the rights. So these are two opposed, opposing kinds of government. And Woodrow Wilson created the seed of that government in America during his presidency. So socialism from that time has been growing here through the administrative state, which is unelected, which has life appointments, which exerts its rules with the uh, strength of laws. Hmm. Okay. So he was he, he was the founder of the troubles we're seeing today, and I I will get to that after Woodrow Wilson. We have FDR who took the occasion of of the stock market crash, as I put it. He invaded the economy, and um, uh, the depression was lengthened, deepened, and made far worse by government intervention than it would have been if the markets were just allowed to uh, recalibrate themselves. But he took that occasion to invade the economy. And ever since that day, the government has been the senior partner partner of every major industry in America. Because of uh, because of the laws that he created. I mean, in part, people, I mean, I, I, it's interesting because that's sort of a, that's the predecessor of what we're having today, where- What we're saying today. 
And so everybody is in a panic and wants help from, you know, big brother. And, and I mean, I I don't, I don't think um, Roosevelt though had nefarious. I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know what you think, but I mean, I think he was trying to save the country. I think it kind of screwed things up in a way, but, um, but it, it was with good intentions or do you think not? I, I think the intent was to empower a central government okay. at, the, at the expense of other governments. I think it's it's deep in the human breed to want power. It's very, very deep. And um, one of Roosevelt's own uh, confidants and friends said, you, you don't want any more to get between uh, uh, FDR and his power than you would want to get between a tiger and a piece of meat because he's that zealous about it. And he did. He literally ran the country uh, in a manner that was uh, quasi-dictatorial through the 30s. He does have his virtues. All all persons have their virtues. But this is is why our Constitution was created, to keep persons who are zealous about power from getting too much power. That's exactly why the Constitution was created. But since the time of FDR, we no longer have a free enterprise system. We have a we have a system that needs the uh, what can we say the accord of government and now in these days when you're seeing so many regulations put on business when you're seeing uh, Biden decide by himself I'm shutting down uh, I'm I'm shutting down uh, the oil industry and we're going to concentrate now on uh, renewables. This is one person dictating to an entire economy and to 330 million people. They cannot go about business as they would in a free enterprise system. So that is a perfect error of FDR. Hmm, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So that began that began that ability of the government to invade any sector of the government and any sector of the economy at once. And so now they're into healthcare. They're in housing. They underwrite 100 percent of all. Uh, housing loans, they underwrite 100% of all student loans, mm. right? And 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 what they want now is the energy sector, which is another 8% of the economy. So they're never done, right? They will never be done until they own 100% or have power over 100% of the economy. That's that's the problem we're having today. Mm. So, so that was... FDR's contribution, uh, uh, another contribution was LBJ and his great society. And I go into that in the book. And that LBJ took self-reliance and replaced it with reliance on government. And since then, it's been a dependency industry that's been growing in America for 50-some years. Of people being dependent, people taking whatever stipend the government can, can give them. It's just been another reason to to redistribute wealth in America, to take it from some and give it to others. And that's a tremendous power that no government should have and which our constitutional framers never envisioned or imagined. Yes, yes. And it's one government, central government, not a state government, not a local government. It's the federal government. It's an immense amount of power that they can take from states all their wealth and redistribute to other states take from certain pockets of populations and redistribute their wealth to other pockets of populations that are their yes. constituents. Like we're talking about the people who want reparations, for example. Right. Right. So um, so that was LBJ's contribution, and that creates 
It created the massive state that we have today, the administrative state that controls the economy and the dependency state, with, which controls, I mean, how many people get a stipend from the government? It's about half. And they also control, they also control how much wealth you can have, right? They take as much of your wealth as they can. Yes, through taxes, yes. Yes, and they use that wealth to to create regulations which are oppressive. So that and it is so let's get to the administrative state because that's the core of the thing. There are now over 400 administrative agencies, each creating rules every day. It's what they do with and and by a means that goes back to King William the Conqueror by will and force. It is the will of their secretaries of say the HHS that a rule be created with the force of law, right? Which makes uh, nuns of a certain order have to have to provide abortifacients to anybody who walks through the door in contravention of their faith, right? And we're seeing that was during that was during uh, the Obama administration. Uh, the little sisters of the poor were sued by the federal government for not providing abortifacients. You see it today by persons not wanting to do something against their religion to create. Uh, means of expression through wedding cakes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, it's not the business of government to get into that. It never was. Mm -hmm. But they are exerting will and force, not through representative government, but through agencies, through their regulatory will. So that is the problem. We have, we have two kinds of government occupying the same space. The one we were founded with, which is representative, and one which is uh, by appointment, and that's the administrative state and administrative law. And the point we're at today, we're at a Y in the road, just what you said, Carol, we're right at the knocking point where we have to decide what sort of government we have, mm -hmm. whether the representative government and the people control the agencies or whether the agencies have full authority to tell 330 million people what to do without their consent. Yeah, and uh, I guess an example would be with COVID and NIH, right? That that's a well. Listen to RFK Jr. Um, he's more a traditional uh, Democrat. Not we are now in a mode where where Frederick Hegel, who founded Karl Marx's theories and who founded socialism, right? The the left now wants full socialism. Right. Robert RFK is a he's more like his his. Uh, his uncle, JFK, mm -hmm. or his father, and that they believe in individual rights. Socialism doesn't believe in that at all. Mm -hmm. So it, I, it's going to be very interesting what happens in the Democratic Party uh, in the next uh, several months. So you have this antagonism, and that's that's why you're seeing the persecution of Donald Trump, because he represents a more representative government that is, is not a kowtow to administrative agencies and does not believe in socialism. It believes in the America of our founding, not the America of Wilson's founding. Yes, yes. And, and so we're at a great why in the road now. Which sort of government are we gonna have? Yes, but, and you know, um, the thing is that while we were sleeping, <laughs> um, so much has been happening, bringing it towards a socialist slash communist kind of government. And we're now we're waking up to it now. Exactly, because now it has it has claws and fangs. Yeah, now. 
but, before yeah. it did not. It, it was it was grown by evolution. This is what Woodrow Wilson said. He said the Russians, the Bolsheviks, did it wrong. They brought socialism to Russia by revolution. In America, we'll do it right. We'll do it by evolution. Huh. And ever since that time, it's been evol evolving through little levies of wealth, little levies of power that each singly is saying, well, okay, the government needs to do this. It needs to do that. Collectively, it's a massive change of government. Hmm. Hmm. Well, let's, um, since this seems to be a good pay place to pause, why don't we take a break now? And then we, when we come back, we can continue with, um, you know, going through the progression of your books. Um, we're up to this in the second one, but also talk about some more of the things that are happening now that are, that exemplify what you've been talking about. Yes, exactly. The government, yeah. government has become, um, less representative and more more a king you know it's it's king obama uh, you yeah. know obama well this is what this the shadows of the acropolis make it all make sense all these things you're seeing every day make sense because of what has happened and what's in the book mm -hmm. all right well we all could use some sense yeah. <laughs> i'm so confused you know <laughs> something that makes, helps make sense of it is is very welcome Okay, well, let's take a break. My guest is Richard Lyons. Um, his books, again, The DNA of Democracy and Shadows of the Acropolis. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. 
Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're talking about America is at a breaking point, but today's guest can help fix it. And, you know, we've been hearing him explain it, <laughs> explain how we got into this mess. Um, it's many years of uh, evolution, you know, as you were saying before the break, my guest is Richard Lyons. Um, now, we're going to be talking about some of the ex to examples of what's going on today, which reflect exactly what he's been writing about in his books. Um, and he mentioned RFK. And so um, RFK Jr., actually, um, Robert Kennedy Jr. And, um, you know, I, I was starting to say during the break that uh, other than his being a well, actually, I was going to say other than his being a Democrat, but he even says, um, I want my party back. He he acknowledges that the Democratic Party has changed a lot, and it wasn't like that in the days of his father and and uncle and so on. It wasn't as socialist as it is now. Um, but so so he's running. He's trying to run for president, or he is running uh, technically. But um, you know, people are so crazy. People are so. Uh, well, that's a whole other thing, but you know how they could, how anybody um, could think that it's okay for America to uh, have Biden be president again. I mean, our country has has literally gone nuts. But I just wanted to bring up something about RFK. Um, you know, so I I really kind of liked him in terms of. Um, I mean, I'm not a Democrat, but I liked I liked what he was doing and saying about the vaccine. Um, I yeah. am an anti-vaxxer. I, I mean, I, I have not gotten the vaccine to this day and do not plan on getting it. And um, I, I believe that a lot of people were killed by the vaccines and there were things that could have helped them. Um, and and they were scorned, you know, especially in California. Our governor has just made it uh, really, you know, he was really, um, he was a real tyrant in regard to this and and um, and what doctors can say and so on. Now, I'm a psychiatrist, so I didn't have patients who I, um, you know, I didn't, I wasn't giving the vaccine, so I didn't have a direct influence, but, um, but I certainly have been talking about it. And so anyhow, so I liked RFK for that, but. Um, he was at a dinner recently. There was a, a I guess, a, a fundraising dinner. And he talked, one of the things that he mentioned in the question and answer part um, is he said, COVID may have been ethnically targeted to spare Jews. In particular, he said Ashkenazi Jews. Now, um, this worried me a lot. I was really disappointed to hear him say that. Because um, because it's it's you know anti-Semitic. Um, I mean, he was saying the Jews and the Chinese. Now they obviously did not do a great job of sparing the Chinese. Um, I don't know what percentage of Ashkenazi Ashkenazi Jews um, you know were spared or or survived compared to other ethnic backgrounds, but. Um, you know, it is true. I actually, I do a podcast called The Terrorist Therapist Show. And I did a podcast on uh, the new terrorists on the block, I think I called it, the Chinese, in regard to um, 
it might have been in regard to the vaccine, but I was talking about how they do actually have a plan and they do, um, it's not just a plan, they are they're actively um, collecting samples, like from our, you know, the genetic testing that we, everybody loves. Um, uh, you put in, you send in your um, sputum or whatever, you, something that uh, scrapings from your cheek or something, and they, they tell you all about your ancestry. Ancestry.com, that's it. Okay, so, and other ones, not, I don't want to just pick on ancestry. So, um, so they are actually trying to define uh, different groups, ethnic groups, and for the purpose of targeting them in the future, targeting them or sparing others. So that part is actually accurate. But I have never heard before, and I don't can't find any um, actual evidence to back up what he was saying. And it just kind of bothered me that, you know, people will, really? Why did the Jews get spared? All oh, those Jews, <laughs> I am Jewish. I should have full clarity. <laughs> that is why it is particularly bothering me. Um, but it's dangerous to say things like that. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, I'd, I'd wait for clarification from RFK Jr. because he's in the fray now. So he would have to explain that. When I was when I think about uh, RFK Jr. and his uh, antagonism for Dr. Fauci, um, that goes exactly to the shadows of the Acropolis because Dr. Fauci was you know, a, a mere agent of an agency, but demanded that children put a foreign substance in their body without anybody voting. I mean, should there be a vote about that? Shouldn't parents uh, make the decision on that? not a secretary buried in an agency defended with all the uh, weaponry of a federal government and its uh, justice agencies. Um, that that was my uh, take, that RFK Jr. Uh, is standing for an individual's rights to their own person. Yes, yes. Uh, which is old, that's an old democratic stance, but that stance will not survive socialism because socialism is the opposite. You have to give up every right you have to the state. Right. Socialism. And that's where we are now. Whether we preserve individual rights, there's a whole list of things that are under threat by this advance of socialism. It's our federal structure, our federalist nation, where states have powers or localities, constitutional law is threatened, free enterprise is threatened, uh, freedom of faith is threatened, freedom of expression is threatened. All by an a state that is overgrown in its mandate by a thousand percent. Yes, yes. And, you know, the um, the vaccines is a really a good example because really is. that is the ultimate um, crossing of boundaries. You know, letting the state decide what you put in your body. That is yes. literally and, piercing the skin, Carol, you know. Yes, yes. And crossing borders, yes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're seeing, um, although the mainstream media doesn't do much talking about this, but online, for example, you see it. Well, even in the you, you do actually, well, you see it in the news, but it's not said, depending upon where the news is coming from, it is not related necessarily to the vaccine. But we are seeing people, younger and younger people, dying, having heart attacks, young men on, on football fields and things like that um, who had the vaccine. And we know that the vaccine can affect people in terms of blood clotting and, and uh, heart 
issues and um, and they're dying. And, you know, they're dying in, in much greater numbers than we ever saw before. And yet only certain news outlets will connect it to the vaccine. Other ones just say, you know, isn't it sad so-and-so died? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't know the truth of it yet. You don't know what will occur in 20 or 30 years. Well, yes. Yes. So, um, but it, yeah, it, it invaded. The whole COVID incident was so bizarre um, in American history, but it shows you what government can do with an emergency. They can yeah. take away your rights and they can invade your very person. So that is what our form of government was specifically designed uh, to exert itself against, right? It's, it should be a government that controls itself first uh, for the good of everybody. Yes, yes. And it would have been, you know, it would have been one thing if, if someone had stood up and said, look, we have this problem and as many people need to get the vaccine as can get it. And this is what's the right thing to do. And then let everybody decide rather than say, no, it will be done and you won't go to school if you don't do it. You won't go to work and this sort of thing. That That is, it was a real example moment. Yes. And that really, um, you know, in history, I mean, when people look back um, on this, it will be seen. I mean, I'd like your opinion on this. Um, it, but this COVID, these two years or so of COVID and the lockdowns, you know, the things that the, the mandates, uh, people got fired, people lost their jobs, people lost their businesses, um, you know, if they didn't want to take the vaccine and so on. All of these changes, people, you know, locking people down, they, this has been studied way before COVID, that uh, the loneliness and the isolation causes physical and psychological problems. This is way before COVID, they knew this. So, yes. um, so we are now at a at a at a, vul in a vulnerable spot uh, in terms of, you know, rising up uh, against some of the things in government. Um, you know that we should be rising up against. I'm not in. I'm not. Uh, I'm not uh, suggesting violence. You know, I have to clarify that. But but to do something about um, this overreach of government. Um, yeah. And now that we're, you know, because of physically and psychologically, psychologically, we're in this kind of, I call it an existential mess. You know, we came out of the lockdowns and our world is just, it's nothing is like the way it was before. It's more, yeah. woke. it's cancel culture. It's, it's a crazy world. It's falling down the, um, the rabbit hole in Alice in Wonderland. And we are still, we, we haven't gotten back to who we were from before COVID in terms of, you know, our minds and our bodies and, and we're being hit with this barrage of craziness. Yeah. And I think part of it, I think stems from the fact that we now don't believe in the same style of government. You have socialists that want socialism, which is the opposite of how this country was founded. Socialism is just another word for tyranny. It's, it's got all the same DNA of a regular tyranny with a pharaoh and his ministers and multitudes who are enslaved. It is exactly the same. It's just a different way of calling it, uh, you know, Carol. And so we saw we saw evidence of it during during COVID. And we're seeing it uh, now when you see an agency, when you see Biden trying to transfer a half a trillion dollars worth of debt from persons who sign valid loan agreements and then give it to and hand that debt to taxpayers who never signed an agreement uh, 
and who have never been to university um, and then to carve out your constituents and saying, no, you don't have to pay your debts. You're our constituents. You vote for us. You don't have to pay. That is not that, that is that's tyranny. It really is. Yes. What you're saying, I want to clarify this. What I think yeah. you're saying is that the people who have college debts are, for the most part, are younger, the younger demographic, who are yes. the ones who are being because they've been to school um, and in recent years and have been fed all of this propaganda about socialism, you know, to believe right. in this. Um, they are more the constituents, you know, the left's, the Democratic's constituents. And so, yes, let's help them. And then they'll be happy. It's the same thing like letting people cross the border. Um, they'll they'll vote for us. Yes. yes, that this goes this is deep in the breed of the Democratic Party. They've been carving out the wealth of America for their constituents since FDR. That was part of his invasion of the economy to be able to benefit certain persons in in the economy and make them loyal democrats never depart from the fan from the party and also the dependency industry everybody who is dependent on government will uh, are relied upon to vote democratic to keep the money coming so yeah, it yeah. it's a big problem that too i mean uh so we're at we're at where socialism expresses itself most uh we're starting to see the claws yes and you know the the um this younger generation um, doesn't, you know, they weren't taught the difference between uh, a, a, a socialism and capitalism. And, oh, well, to the extent that they were taught it, they were taught it in a very twisted way. And they are all for exactly <laughs> right socialism. Oh, I could just stay home and get a check. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> but this is but this is critical. Talk about history. And, and let's talk about the Ivy League professors. It is the invariable example of history that no socialist country ever succeeded in creating a utopia. All it ever succeeded in doing was killing hundreds of millions of people worldwide and enslaving billions. That's socialism. So, and to be teaching it as a preferable form of government in the United States is to me appalling that any professor would do that in uh, the whole country uh, amazes me, let alone all of them. People should be reading Anne Rand and your books. And I will remind them of the title of your books before we have to, to uh, sign off. Um, again, my guest is Richard Lyons, and his books are called The DNA of Democracy, Shadows of the Acropolis. Those are the two books, volumes one and two. And thank you so much for explaining them. And I, I will be looking at history very differently now. Um, I really hadn't thought of it going as far back or the, you know, the uh, problems that we're having today, the, the Obama problems, I call it. He was the worst president yeah. ever. Um, and he's still running the White House. But I hadn't really yeah. thought of it in the in the historical context that you have explained. So thank you very much, uh, Richard Lyons. You're welcome. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.